And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, Luke Giaconetti. Thank you, everyone, for downloading and listening to the show today. I hope everyone enjoyed our last episode where we took a look at the final, uh, <laughs> that's probably the best adjective to describe it, Showa Gamera film, Gamera Super Monster. Hope everyone enjoyed that episode. Today, we're going to be switching gears a little bit. We're moving from a movie to comics, and we're taking a look at Godzilla in Hell, the IDW miniseries from 2015. Very excited to talk about that. But before we get into it, we do have some news, so let's get right to it. Up first, Toho has announced Godzilla Singular Point, a new anime series coming worldwide to Netflix in 2021. Now, this is being produced by Bones Studio, who uh, you probably know best, at least I do, from My Hero Academia, along with Orange, which is uh, probably best known for a show called Beastars, which I am I'm not familiar with. Uh, the show is a combination of hand-drawn and CGI, and the uh, promo material hypes that it's a brand new cast and an original story. Now, to my eye, the designs that they've released have a sort of 80s retro anime vibe. They're not um, kind of cutesy 90-ish style, and they're not the super realistic, so they look kind of in, in between that. They, so they, they kind of remind me of an 80s look. Um, more on this as it develops. As I was about to go record today, the teaser has dropped. So if you go out on on YouTube or Twitter or uh, Netflix NX, that's their, their outfit that releases all the anime information. Uh, the, the teaser for this has dropped. It's only like a 40-second teaser, but looks very cool. Looks like there's going to be more than just Godzilla as far as the monster cast in this. Very, very much looking forward to this. Also, right as I was about to go to record, uh, Netflix has officially announced the long, long-discussed uh, Pacific Rim anime, which is being called Pacific Rim the Black, and deals with uh, evidently two siblings moving across Australia in a in a Jaeger. I believe this is supposed to take place between the two films, which would make sense. But uh, not much information has been released on this. I don't have a ton of information right now, so I'm hoping to get some more before next episode so we can fill you in on that. But more on this as it develops. And hat tip to Deadline, who was the first studio where I saw the, uh, or first outlet, I should say, uh, who broke the news for Godzilla Singular Point for me. Uh, in home media news, SRS Cinema has announced that they have the rights to the Korean film The Flying Monster. Now, if you've never heard of this one, don't feel bad, because I hadn't either. This is an obscure film from 1984. It's a combination of new footage shot in Korea with local actors that's been mixed with monster footage from Return of Ultraman. Uh, from, uh, I think, 1970, 1971. Details still being finalized, but, you know, with SRS... Uh, they typically do Blu-ray and VHS special editions. Sometimes they do wide DVDs. Uh, they Some of the later ones that they've done, they have not done the DVDs on, so I'm not sure about this one. Uh, SRSCinema.com is where you can go to get more information. Hat tip to Sci-Fi Japan 
uh, for breaking this news. In other home media news, Ultraman Taro, the Blu-ray, has been announced from Mill Creek. This is set to be released on January 12th, 2021, here in the States. Uh, Standard and steelbook packaging available, as has been the norm with these Showa Ultra Blu-ray releases from Mill Creek. I went with the steelbook. I like the very clean, uh, almost kind of Art Deco-y sort of look with the steelbooks, but the modern, excuse me, the regular uh, packaging looks really cool too. It's got a nice... uh, sort of uh, mosaic or mural, I should say, that they're making from the different um, uh, spines when you line them up on the shelf. So that is really cool. Pre-orders are up on Amazon and on Mill Creek's own uh, uh, e-store. Of course, uh, they will also include the Movie Spree digital copy. I know some people uh, don't really take advantage of this, but Movie Spree is a free service that, uh, you know, it's it's not like a streaming service. It's a, you know, an on-demand service that you get the free digital copies with a lot of Mill Creek releases. If you look at my Movie Spree account, it's quite amusing. It's all Ultra and then Santa with muscles. You know, the uh, Hulk Hogan (laughs) Christmas movie made famous or infamous back in the day on Monday Nitro. So, uh, but definitely check that. If you've been getting these, you've got those Movie Spree digital copies and Movie Spree is very easy to use, very easy to redeem. So uh, check that out. More Ultra is promised from Mill Creek in 2021. They've already teased Leo which is the next Showa. Uh, I'm not sure what the next modern series is going to be, but uh, very much looking forward to Leo. And, um, and we got even more Ultra news coming up right now because Ultra Fight Galaxy, the absolute conspiracy, you'll remember we talked about this last month. Well, the, quote, ultimate trailer has dropped, and it has English dialogue. Now, we had speculated that this would be subtitled only, but it appears that it will, in fact, have English dubs. Now, this is set to debut November 22nd on YouTube. Has a lot of Ultra fans buzzing over appearances by some very obscure Ultra heroes, including uh, Ultraman Jonius, uh, Andro Mello, who was not even sort of an Ultraman. It's kind of a long story there. And uh, the early style for Ultraman Trigar, who, of course, is the villain from Taiga. So very much looking forward to that, and uh, as I said, with the this being the short form series, I'm hoping even I can squirrel away a few minutes here and there to uh, <laughs> to watch this and not fall behind like I did with Ultraman Z. One last bit of news, again, fairly late breaking, right as I was uh, going to record here. So if you missed out on Arrow's ult- uh, Gamera, I've been talking so much Ultraman news, got Ultraman on the brain, uh, Arrow Video's Gamera box set, you are in luck because they are releasing two. Uh, smaller sets, a Showa set and a Heisei set. That Heisei set will also include Gamera the Brave. There are not as many special features, but a good deal of special features on these. The artwork is uh, is kind of the same style. These are more normal-sized box set cases, not the oversized box like the uh, the, uh, the first set was. Uh, but these are up on Arrow. I think they're retailing right now for about $50 a piece. So if you missed out on that big box set, you still want those Arrow Video uh, Gamera discs, they are going to be out there. So uh, please, uh, if, if you're falling to that category, please check that out. That Arrow Video presentation was, was really nice with those Gamera films. It's really great to see those films get such a, uh, a wonderful treatment, you know, and, and I'm glad that Arrow is following up for for those who who maybe missed out on that earlier set. So uh, that's what I've got for news. If you have any news that you think would be of interest to the listeners of Earth Destruction Directive, why don't you go ahead and send me an email 
Earth Destruction Directive at Yahoo.com, and we will talk about it here on the show. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and we're going to be right back with Godzilla in Hell. Image Comics, formed in 1992 by several creators unhappy with their current place in the industry. So they band together to make a new comics company for a new generation of readers. Creator-owned, mutants, cops, black ops government agents, demon-possessed, and they are going to be the greatest comics ever. In April of 1992, the first issues hit the stands, and fandom resounded with cries of... Pouches? Why are there so many pouches? What? You don't like pouches? All the Pouches, an Image Comics podcast, is one fan's exploration of those early years of Image Comics. Youngblood, The Savage Dragon, Spawn, and more, with maybe even a few pouches along the way. So come give a listen at johnreadscomics.com. That's John with no H. Just you can spell it right. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Godzilla in Hell was a miniseries released by IDW Comics in the year 2015. This is from the era when they had the Godzilla license, and they did release a fair number of, of books. We've we've talked about a couple of the ongoing series, and we've talked about a few of the miniseries here. And uh, But this one I remember getting a, a bit of press because it was such an odd title, and an, what we'll see to be somewhat of an unusual concept. And uh, I don't have much background. I've, I've done tried to do some research. There's not a whole lot of background information on this. So I think we should probably just get right into the books and let them speak for themselves. Godzilla and Hell number one from IDW was cover dated July 2015. And according to Gojapedia, was on sale July 15th, 2015. I don't think that's right. Um, that's... I don't, I don't have any other source to back that up, so I'm just going to say it's cover dated uh, July of 2015. The art and story are by James Stoko. The editor is Bobby Kernow, and the story consultant was Chris Mowry. Godzilla falls down an impossibly deep chasm, finding himself in a hellish wasteland. Heading towards what appears to be some sort of a city, he is attacked by a bizarre, multi-eyed and tentacle creature, but he quickly dispatches it. Godzilla is then accosted by what appears to be a swarming cloud of humanoid figures. Passing through the swarm, Godzilla then spots what appears to be his own battle-scarred future self. The two monsters stare each other down, but the doppelganger is revealed as a grotesque hell beast, covered with gaping maws full of sharp teeth and sprouting tentacles from its limbs. The two clash with the hell beast throwing Godzilla around with its many arms before finally moving to consume him altogether. This is the hell beast's mistake. Godzilla uses his nuclear pulse attack to eradicate his foe. But the ground beneath Godzilla shifts and he finds himself falling down into a familiar looking chasm. Okay, so we we start right out right out of the gate here with with this book. It is a uh Definitely a, a change of pace from the types of stories that IDW was doing. They always kind of experimented a little bit more in the miniseries than they did in the ongoings. And this one certainly fits that bill. So let's get 
right into it. So James Stokoe, the artist and, uh, I should just say creator, he's the only creator listed on the cover. Uh, IDW will often put the, uh, the, the the names of the creative team right on the cover, and underneath the IDW number one, it just says Stokoe. Uh, now, Stokoe is best known, I'd say, for his Godzilla Half-Century War um, miniseries, which we covered way back on episode 21 of this show, and that's what I know him best for, so I was very excited to see Stokoe do some more Godzilla. Uh, Stoko does the cover, the main cover, which uh, shows Godzilla inside the swarm of humanoids in the ru- what looks like the ruins of the city. It gives me a sort of a Mega Neuron vibe, you know, when the Mega Neuron was swarming around Godzilla. There were also uh, several other alternate covers. There was a, a subscription variant cover by uh, with art by Jeff Zornow, which is in an EC Comics um, horror style. It shows Godzilla facing off. Uh, with King Ghidorah, but it has a Godzilla in hell and a bright uh, bright font on the top third of the of the cover is in a frame. And it says monsters in vertical, like it would say horror on the old EC books. We also had a retailer exclusive, an IDW convention exclusive cover by James Stokoe. This is a uh, headlong shot where we're looking directly at uh, the Hellbeast doppelganger. And there is a comics dungeon exclusive with art by Sarah Richard um, that is very brightly cut. It's all purple and whites and yellows, and it looks like it's Godzilla detonating a reactor of some kind, a big explosion in front of them. All very cool covers, although this cover A, the base cover, is actually quite nice. And I do really like the Godzilla in Hell logo as well, which is very, very unique. Uh, so, page one, Godzilla falling into hell. This is the splash, and we just see this impossibly huge uh, hole that Godzilla is falling down. We talked about a lot back when we were doing all the Marvel Godzilla that they would use um, small figures to show Godzilla's scale. Well, here Godzilla is the small figure. He is maybe an inch from tail to nose on the. You think about the you know um, you know what eight by ten around that 8.5 by 11 uh, style page. So he's very small amidst this giant chasm that he is falling down, which is very cool. Pages 2 and 3 are three big panels, and it's just the title as Godzilla continues to fall, and we get stylized words in the the rocks around he is falling that says Godzilla in hell, which is very striking. And uh, and I do like that quite a bit. This follows up on page 5, where after Godzilla finally crashes down and digs himself out, there is a, a giant carved stone sign that says, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. And this towers over Godzilla. So it's uh, um, one, two, three, it's five rows high, like rows of text. And the here, the final row of text, it's even taller than Godzilla. So this, this sign, this rock sign, stands five times as tall as Godzilla to give you an idea of how big it is. And of course, Godzilla's response is to simply blast it to rubble with his atomic breath. It's actually quite quite amusing that uh, his defiance at uh, at this this piece of hellish architecture, signage, whatever whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, over now onto page seven, Godzilla moves into the city, air quotes up to the mic. And what I like here is that there are these two, they look like um, cooling towers, nuclear cooling towers, these, these smokestacks. And this immediately reminds me of Godzilla 1985, or Godzilla 1984, if you prefer, with the, uh, the nuclear Godzilla pulls the reactor out of the uh, cooling tower, uh, out of the nuclear power plant. Uh, here he doesn't quite get that. He gets, a, he gets attacked by this, uh, 
this this crazy looking monster that's all just eyeballs and tentacles, but he literally squashes it in this in the course of about four panels. So it's not much of a threat. Pages nine through twelve have Godzilla moving through the the swarm cloud of of, uh, of humanoids, and it, there you never get a really good look at them. Uh, at the bottom of page nine, we do kind of get uh, the best look at them that we see. They all appear to be naked humans, but there's no real detail in them. You can uh, one can easily imagine that these are perhaps the souls of the damned. And what's interesting is that on this um, uh, on uh, pages ten and eleven. They actually have overwhelmed G enough that they're pushing him back, and you see his feet digging into the ground. Uh, but he puts his head down and, and forces his way through, which is is quite nice. And again, it, it's very what Stoko's art style in this is wonderful because he has it's it's a it's definitely what I would call a manga style. It's not a a Western style, uh, just the way that the line work is, the way that the inking is. Uh, but it's not it's not a stereotypical manga style. I always think about the late 90s, early 2000s when we kept hearing that manga was going to take over Western comics and you got a lot of these Western guys drawing this really exaggerated manga style. This looks like a more, um, you know, a, a more traditional manga look and I think Stoko does a really good job with it, especially with his storytelling since I said there's, there's no dialogue at all in this story. Uh, over now onto uh, page 13 and the uh, the doppelganger stands revealed. Panel 1 here this is the inset panel that is used for that uh, that uh, that secondary cover, that convention exclusive cover that Stoko did, and um, so he's got scars across his left eye, like he's been raked with claws, and he's got scar tissue on his leg and on his chest, and uh, he definitely looks like he's been been through some crap. Uh, there is a panel uh, towards the bottom of the page where we see the scars, uh, right, and they go right through his eye, so you know that that this. Godzilla seemingly has been through some some really some tough battles, and uh, now this leads to a sequence where the the our Godzilla comes and just approaches him, and on page fourteen almost seems to be leaning in to sniff at him, like an animal, which is interesting because Godzilla sometimes has a personality in this book and sometimes is more animalistic. So here he's investigating this uh, this creature, and of course it turns into the Hell Beast. It stands revealed on page fourteen, panel. Four right at the bottom, this uh, sickening, almost uh, I don't know, Lovecraftian sort of like Lovecraft meets Cenobite thing with teeth and tentacles all over the place. The head just kind of had the has leapt up and formed a giant mouth that runs down to the the chest and part of the back. It's really hard to describe this hell beast, but it, it's a uh, very very crazy looking monster. The fight is fairly one-sided. Uh, the Hellbeast throws Godzilla around a lot. Although Godzilla does get his licks in, using his atomic breath to sever the tentacles that are, are holding him at one point. Uh, and then actually standing on top of the uh, Hellbeast and punching down on him before it uses its, its claws to grab him and draw him in. Over on to page 19, the... Uh, it, he basically pulled the Hellbeast basically pulls an Orga, you know, or, Orga, that's how he tried to, you know, kill Godzilla and Godzilla 2000 was to uh, consume him and eat him. That's basically what the Hellbeast does here, which is interesting because this is, like I said, about 15 years after that. And Godzilla 2000 was widely available in the U.S. after its theatrical release. Uh, we covered Godzilla 2000 a long, long time ago on this show. But nuclear, and not too dissimilar to what happens to Orga, nuclear pulse attack and Kablooey. And the Hellbeast is uh, destroyed. And you see organs and 
bits of teeth and skin and tissue just kind of flying off of him on the bottom of, uh, of page 19 here. Really, really neat and um, very kind of kind of gross, but, you know, it's, it's all bloodless. It's, and it's monster violence, so it's not real violence, right? Uh, this leads us to the last page of the issue. And the, uh, the ground shifts, as I said, beneath Godzilla's feet. He looks down in surprise. And then on the final panel, page 20, panel 3, we see Godzilla falling once again into the chasm. What I like about this is that it is not the same art as it was on page 1. It is a different take. So the colors are different. The position of Godzilla is different. Uh, so it's and it's a smaller piece. It's not the a full a full page, so it is similar, but it's not a art reuse. So I like that. It does fit the rest of the page. It's all composed very nicely together. So this makes for a really really great done in one version of the concept. So if you say, oh, I've got this book. It's called Godzilla in Hell, and then you this is the book that you get. This pretty much encapsulates it perfectly. You know, it's got Godzilla literally falling into this hellish landscape. Well, battling against the souls of the damned and some crazy demonic beast, and then continuing at the end, still falling even deeper. One can read it as him falling deeper. One can read him as you know, the whole thing starting over again and uh, doing it, uh, you know, having to fight through the same things endlessly, both of which could be considered regions of hell. So really amazing job by Stoko. And, and we'll see as we continue is that that's kind of the way this series is going to play out. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But uh, I remember getting this and being really excited by it and really enjoying it. And very much eagerly awaiting uh, the next issue. But this this one by Stoko is, is just a really good 20-page comic. And again, no dialogue. All we get is the titles and that one uh, stone sign. So that's the only dialogue that carries this. Everything else is done through the art. And Stoko is more than up to, the, up to that challenge. And I think this is a, a very good comic and a great way to start our miniseries. Godzilla in Hell number 2 was also from IDW. was cover dated August 2015. Art and story are by Bob Eggleton. Editor once again, Bobby Kernow, and story consultant again was Chris Mowry. In a fiery volcanic region of hell, Godzilla encounters the great winged demon Rodan at the ruins of a city. The two clash, but a tail chop defeats Rodan, letting Godzilla advance into an icy tundra with ships frozen in the ice. Here he encounters here he encounters Anguirus, possessed by some sort of demonic force. The two monsters attack each other, but Angie is defeated when Godzilla throws him into the ice. Godzilla continues onward, finding himself in an endless ocean, facing another demonic foe, this time Varan. The lake demon falls under a torrent of atomic breath, but a blinding light reveals the final demonic foe, King Ghidorah. The King of Terror lashes out with gravity beams, whipping up a storm behind Godzilla. The whirlpool sucks Godzilla down into new levels of hell. Um, well, visually, what a what an issue this one is. Uh, Bob Eggleton, well known in the Godzilla community as a painter, and many times when you see painted covers of uh, of different books um, for for Godzilla, then it's usually Bob Eggleton. His style is a very kind of realistic style. I would liken it to most comic fans to kind of a, a uh, an Alex Ross sort of look. But, uh, again, because his subject matter isn't humans, it's monsters, it still has a kind of fantastical element to it. Very cool. Uh, he uh, handles the cover here, and uh, it is a, a very beautiful painted cover. I mean, that's all you can really say. It's Godzilla looking very green and purple, very uh, 2001 style, uh, amidst the flames of a, a rocky volcanic 
fiery area roaring his defiance. Uh, great textures and shading. I love the skin texture, which really looks nice. And there's some really good shading in here as well with the, uh, the fire uh, throwing shadows all over Godzilla. There was also a subscription uh, cover variant by Matt Frank, which has uh, Godzilla... It looks like he is falling down the chasm from the last uh, issue. And then you see on the outskirts of the cover, you see Rodan, Angurus, and Varan waiting for him. I, I like the painted cover better. I don't have any real problem with the Frank cover, but the Eggleton cover really is much better suited uh, to this issue, I think. Uh, now, right off the bat, right on page one, totally different art style. As the book is completely painted, as I said, Eggleton is, is a painter, but also completely different format. Here, again, no dialogue, but caption boxes narrate the entire story. So we actually get little um, cadmium yellow uh, uh, caption boxes to explain both uh, insight into what the, the monsters are, or at least what Godzilla is thinking, as well as uh, the action that's going on around us. Uh, this page uh, shows, page one has a, a you know, a profile view, a full panel profile view of Godzilla, and then an inset closing in on his eyes, and we see the reflection of, of a little bit of flame in his eyes as we turn over to two and three, and uh, there we have the splash page with Rodan uh, f flying over. A, a, it's ha it looks like an alien city is what it looks like. It's got a big dome, uh, a big domed building central, but then again it has uh, the nuclear cooling towers as well. Uh, but then it also looks to be hewn out of rock. And uh, we see Godzilla on the left and Rodan on the right, the two rivals facing off. Uh, there's also a great quote here, as Eggleton says, And there were giants in the earth in those days. And of course, Behemoth and Leviathan, um, long been referenced by Godzilla fans as talking about uh, in a historical context of Daikaiju in a, in a Western sense anyway. Uh, so pages four through seven, this is the battle with Rodan. Eggleton's style, very grand, very epic. Uh, you can you can hear the Fakube music here. Uh, there is one panel on uh, on page four where Rodan is charging right at Godzilla, and his wings are billowing up. This looks exactly like uh, the scene that's actually featured in the opening credits of Godzilla, or excuse me, Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. This is also appropriate because Godzilla fights at a volcano against Rodan. And of course, Rodan uh, and volcanoes kind of goes together. You know, the Rodan lived in a volcano and were uh, destroyed at one in Rodan. Uh, he ha is found inside of a volcano at uh, in Gator 3-headed monster and is pulled out of a mountain in Monster Zero. So uh, the, the volcanic setting makes perfect sense uh, for Rodan here. And as uh, so I one good tail chop and right to the, the side of the head, it's swack is the... Uh, the uh, the sound effect and Rodan goes down sort of the way he goes down in Final Wars actually he kind of crashes head first into the 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 supposed city allowing Godzilla to move on uh, pages eight through thirteen this is where we have the the icy battle and the color scheme of course changes drastically we shift from reds and yellows and oranges to blues and greens and a much cooler color scheme as one would expect great contrast. Uh, here with the color palette. Uh, the um, Godzilla battling Angurus in ice is, I can only take to be a reference to Godzilla Raids again, where um, Angurus doesn't fight in the ice, but Godzilla, of course, is frozen in ice at the end of that film after fighting Angurus. Um, there's some really good sound effects here. We get uh, the re for uh, 
for Anguirus, that weird kind of honky roar that he has. Honking, I should say, roar that he has. And, uh, of course, we get a Screonk from Godzilla. Uh, and near the end of the fight, uh, Anguirus actually does chomp down on Godzilla's wrist. And, uh, you know, Anguirus, he, he will bite somebody if left to his own devices. Uh, unfortunately, this um, leads to his downfall, as uh, once he is on the wrist, Godzilla simply flicks him off, and he crashes headfirst into the ice and, uh, and is defeated. Now, the next sequence, pages uh, 14 through 17, is the ocean battle. Now, with Varan. Now, this, to me, was an unexpected choice. Because Godzilla and Varan, of course, never battled. And, and really didn't appear together. Varan has basically an extended cameo in um, Destroy All Monsters. But they both look great facing off with each other. I mean, they're both classic Earth monsters, and Varan especially, because Eggleton really plays up the size of the, the spikes down his back and the spikes on his face. He really looks vicious. Uh, I'm, it makes me think of what we might have gotten with uh, Kaneko's original version of what became GMK if Varan had made the cut into that film. Uh, now, I do like this also. At first, I, had to, I, I wasn't sure about this, but then I thought about it. Varan in the water, well, Varan is a lake monster. Uh, in his film, you'll recall that he was uh, living at the bottom of a lake. So putting Varan in the water makes perfect sense here. Very dramatic with the uh, the coloring here. It's all now dark and moody. It looks sort of like um, when Godzilla fought Ibra with all the water swooshing around, but it's, it's darker. It's almost as if you take that scene and put it at night. You know, kind of like, uh, I guess, Anguirus and Godzilla vs. Gigan. You know, that was at night in the water. But this is, is very quick. Uh, pages 18 to 20, King Ghidorah shows up. Uh, very demonic and evil in the face when he shows up. He just has this, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's, it's hard to explain, but it definitely looks like it's aping a, a very devilish sort of, of look on his, uh, on his face. The way his eyes are glowing red, the, the shape of the mouth, the horns pointed straight up for the center head as he looks down uh, on Godzilla. There is a great reference to two monsters from myth, Cilia and Carbitus, of course, from the Odyssey, where Godzilla is stuck between King Ghidorah and the big maelstrom that the gravity beams are kicking up. I really liked that reference because I've always, I've always thought Scilly and Carbitus were, you know, they, they don't get as much play as Polyphemus does in the Odyssey, but I do like that they're there. And Scylla, I remember having, like, the, the, the tentacles and stuff, I always think of that way. So, sort of thematically like King Ghidorah's heads, and then, of course, Carbitus the Whirlpool, uh, with, uh, with, it makes perfect sense. Godzilla is defeated, which I think is incredible, that he actually is defeated. He's driven back by the gravity beams and falls down into the whirlpool and is sucked down into the, another level of hell. Very, very uh, dramatic ending. And um, it's, it's really a question to me, has Godzilla failed the test or is this all part of the same test? You know, is all of these, because you see this one doesn't specifically reference the previous issue, and it ends kind of a similar way with Godzilla being sent to another region of hell. So it's like, is this all the same? Is this one continuous story? Or are these individual stories all playing on the same theme of Godzilla in hell? It's it's very thought-provoking. It's very creative. Now, this to me 
is a visually stunning painted issue. None of the fights, unfortunately, are as, are as dramatic as we got in this James Stokoe's issue. But that's not the intent here. The intent is to do, you know, kind of epic, what we call widescreen monster action. And Eggleton gets to do what he does best. And it is, it's really just a treat to look through. Even if you don't want to read the captions. And the captions, you know, they, they do add to the story. They do uh, set the mood. It's a very sort of... Uh, um, you know, grandiose type of text, but just to flip through and look at Eggleton's uh, finished work is incredible. I also really like this issue is the only one that has actual back matter. So it's got, um, you know, three pages of sketches and thumbnails and listings of inspiration from Eggleton where he talks about, um, you know, kind of how his creative process went to do this, the first fully painted Godzilla comic. Uh, so I really like that. And he does, in fact, make uh, some references to the classical art that he does use, including Gustave Dior, which is very funny to me because, of course, Gustave Dior is Dante's Inferno. Uh, I'm a big fan of Dave Sims' Cerebus in Hell, which <laughs> pretty liberally uses Gustave Dior's, um, uh, you know, uh, Dante's Inferno. So seeing that called out here several years before uh, Cerebus and Hell was was very amusing. Another really solid issue. Very much enjoyed this. Again, totally different from the first issue, but completely worthwhile and really very cool. So uh, two issues in, and I'm definitely digging this series. Godzilla and Hell number three from IDW Comics was cover dated September 2015, was written by Ulysses Farinas and Eric Freitas. The art is by Buster Moody, with color assist by Ludwig Laguna Olimba. The editor again, Bobby Kernow, and the letterers and creative consultants, this time Chris Mowry. Amidst the ruins of Rio de Janeiro, Godzilla is in a fierce battle with Space Godzilla. The two behemoths blast each other back and forth with beams, until a clash of atomic breath and corona beam appears to destroy the Earth. Godzilla awakens in a green field before a towering mountain, surrounded by angels with familiar moth wings. The mountain awakes, opening its many eyes and demanding G submit and serve peace. Defiant. Godzilla crushes an angel and is then forcefully cast down to a desolate landscape. Under a frozen lake lies Space Godzilla, whose crystals melt the ice so that he may fight again. Spurred on by flying devils, Space Godzilla rises. The devils want to consume Godzilla's heart and fly en masse down his mouth, with Space Godzilla pinning him down. But from above, the angels burst through and battle the demons, forcing themselves down Godzilla's gullet. Now surrounded by a white aura, Godzilla easily dispatches Space Godzilla, reflecting his own corona beam back at him. Now being beckoned by the forces of both heaven and hell, Godzilla lashes out, destroying both, before stomping off to another region of the underworld. Right, so right off the back, we can see that this is different, because this one, instead of having a single creator, has multiple creators working collaboratively. Uh, so it's definitely different than the last one. So let's see, let's get into the notes and talk about it. So the Farinas and Frietas, um, I did some research on them. I was not familiar with either of them. They are the uh, co-creators of a book called Gamma from, from Dark Horse. And Farinas also has done some Judge Dredd work for IDW as both a writer and an artist. So not a whole lot of work for these guys that I could find, but, but not rookies either. They, they certainly have, have uh, done some stuff. 
Now, Buster Moody, I had heard that name before, and I, I wasn't sure, and as soon as I did, as soon as I searched him, I found what I remembered him from. So he's done some Ninja Turtles work from IDW, but primarily I know him from doing the Bebop and Rocksteady stuff that IDW has put out, which definitely is in the same style as this. This, uh, and We'll talk about the art style in a, in a second here. Uh, also, um, his creator-owned series Laser Storm and Task Force Rad Squad. Now, the colorist... Uh, the colorist says Ludwig uh, Laguna Olimba also has done um, some uh, Ninja Turtles work with IDW, also worked on Task Force Rad Squad, and also known for his book, which is Skull Kickers. So there's uh, definitely an, an indie sort of vibe to this compared to the other two, which had a, a manga and a painting vibe to it. So again, we're, we're changing it up creatively. Uh, Kurnow changing around the creative teams to really give each book a, a very unique Feel, which I think is a, a very interesting approach. Uh, page one, again, totally different style once again. Right out of the bat, we see it. Uh, this is, like I said, looks more like an indie comics sort of um, sort of, uh, of image. And I guess before I talk about page one, I should talk about the cover, which is by Moody. And again, has the uh, that, that sort of look. It's, it's very kind of flat, but intentionally so. It's not trying to be... A uh, you know a very deep epic cover. It's got Godzilla sparking with uh, you know atomic breath with smoke pouring out, and we see the Mothra angels all flying around him in flames. It's very cool. It sort of reminds me a little bit of R. Crumb, or you know other types of artists that would have worked with a uh, Harvey Pekar in that you know again that kind of comics a little bit of Jim Valentino maybe kind of in the people. So I really do like the cover, and I do like the art quite a bit. Also fun on page one, panel three, Mogura has a cameo, which makes sense since Space Godzilla is the villain of this piece, and Space Godzilla appears facing off with Godzilla on panel five. Um, page two really shows us the battle in Rio. It's a very, like I said, broad comic style of art. Very atypical, but it's also, like I said, unique. It's eye-catching. Um, there's a lot of flame work on these pages, which I think looks really nice. Flames, we see the lightning coming down, uh, for the corona beam. And just the, all the little details, like when they, ex um, you know, when something explodes, we see each individual piece of rubble that's part of it. So it's, it is definitely different. And it continues our theme of each book creatively looking quite different, but Ball telling the same conceptual story, how do we have Godzilla in hell? So I, I really do applaud the, the art choice here. Over on page six, it really looks like Godzilla blows up the Earth. Uh, <laughs> Godzilla and Space Godzilla blasting each other, and then we see the explosion building, 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 and then we're out in space, and we literally see the Earth explode. I'm reminded of a friend of mine was working on a book, a uh, fiction book that he was writing, and he was had trouble... Uh, sticking the ending. He was working on the ending and I was doing uh, some proofreading and edits for him and he sent me the draft and said and then suddenly the world exploded and that's exactly what we, we have here. Now the rest of the story, if one takes this literally that the earth has exploded, that means the rest of the story is the afterlife and that makes sense and that makes perfect sense again for Godzilla in hell as a uh, as a story concept. This pulls us over onto page 7, where we have the Mothra Angels, as I, I've been calling them in my notes, where they look like, you know, your standard white-robed angels. They're all care wearing halos and carrying swords and shields, but they have Imago Mothra wings. So, you know, a, definitely a, a mashup, if you will, of a kind of Western Judeo-Christian lore view of angels with, you know, throwing Mothra in there as well. Mothra to see only the closest to appearing Mothra gets in this series is, is right here, so... Um, 
Now this leads us to page 8, which is a full page. It actually is signed by Freitas, Farinas, and Moody. It's the same signature that Moody has on the cover, so I'm, I'm guessing it's Moody doing this, and maybe the other guys had uh, had some uh, input on it. Both of them have done some art. But it's this, this mountain, and the mountain has numerous eyes, and it appears to have wings like King Ghidorah at, uh, embedded in it at certain points, and it looks like the back spikes from Anguirus, and it, it's very, very unusual looking. And it's gigantic. Again, it's at least four times as tall as Godzilla, much like the sign was in the first issue, giving you an idea of the scale. Uh, this is kind of the Kingdom of Heaven mountain, I guess, for, for lack of a better term here. Uh, but it's definitely a, a unique image. And we're going to see mountains revisited uh, later on in this series. Um, now, on, this, on page 9, we actually do get some dialogue. Not dialogue bubbles, per se. Uh, but we do get actual written words, and the, the mountain is saying, Submit, serve peace. Submit, serve peace. So it, that is, again, a change. And you know, We've gone from no dialogue to captions to now actual diegetic sound in the, uh, in, in the book. Pushing over now onto page 11, um, we see Godzilla being cast out, forcibly cast out of heaven. This leads us over to page 12, where we see him falling. Again, sort of like the very first page of the first issue. So it, it really does seem like there's a... Uh, cer certain themes, whether they were intentional or not, are being echoed through these, and I do like that very much. Uh, we do see the demons here. It's hard to tell if they have King Ghidorah wings. Sometimes it looks like they do. Sometimes they just look like bat wings. So I'm just going to um, chalk it up to that. It could, I suppose it could be Destoroya wings, but Destoroya sometimes has kind of bat-looking wings too. So it's hard to tell here. I guess they're just supposed to be devils. Um... 14 and 15, we see Space Godzilla rising up. He looks really intense. You know, he's got the pink flames burning off of his crystals, pink smoke uh, pouring out of his eyes. He's got his teeth gritted. He really looks ready to go. I know Space Godzilla, his movie is fairly controversial in that some people really, really dislike it. But as far as a, a monster, I've always been a fan of his look, and I think he looks very, very cool here. Uh, the battle itself is is quite intense with, you know, just back and forth action, the uh, the demons flocking down Godzilla's mouth and then the angels arriving. Um, and again, the, the, the comics style gives this a very intentionally cartoonish look. And so you've got this contrast between the subject matter and the art style, but it's, it's really well done. I really enjoy it. Visually, I find it very arresting in that it looks so unique and so different from what we typically get with a Godzilla book. Even, you know, going back to the Herb Trimpey days, this, this looks way different, and I do, it stands out really well for that reason. Um, after Godzilla is powered up by the angels, it's pretty clear that Space Godzilla is outmatched as uh, Godzilla pulls a, uh, a uh, 94 and bl uh, destroys both of Space Godzilla's shoulder crystals and then then, then pulls the old rubber your uh, I'm rubber your glue situation uh we're reflecting the corona beam which hits God Space Godzilla right in the midsection and uh similar to uh, the hell beast in the first issue he also blows up with guts and organs flying everywhere uh and there's actually an even panel of a reaction of Godzilla watching all the guts and organs which is uh very amusing um, now, this to me is the, uh, this leads up to what basically the entire conceit of this issue is, where you have the, the, the angels and the devils all, you know, now, uh, you know, basically recruiting Godzilla. 
You have the devil saying, now that, we, or you have the, uh, the angel saying, now that we have aided you in your victory against Space Godzilla, you shall serve us in our battle against hell. Serve, peace, submit, serve, peace, submit. And then we have the uh, devil saying, we submit to Godzilla. You are the one we worship. Uh, but G's not having any of it. He blasts a hole in the wall, grabs a fistful of angels and demons, and eats them before stomping through to another region of hell. This can be taken in certain uh, context that might be a little controversial. We could say that God, that Godzilla is superior both to God and Satan, perhaps. Uh, perhaps simply that Godzilla doesn't care or is beyond the realm of religion because religion is the realm of man. There's a lot of ways to read this. I take it as being Godzilla is so badass that he doesn't even care about the battle between heaven and hell. He is his own, his own individual and will go off and do his own thing. And uh, again, to be continued. Um, very offbeat issue, but a lot of fun. I, uh, I really did have a lot of fun reading this. It's only moderately heathenistic. You know, shout out to Professor Allen. I'm sure he could get a lot of uh, mileage out of this issue over on Darkness Delight. Art, huge change of pace, but very pleasing, very eye-catching. I really like the bombast, the kind of over-the-top style of this issue. You know, that was one of, always to be been one of the strengths of when indie comics try to do not try to do, but like indie comics do superheroes or action or anything like that is that kind of energy, that bombastic energy and that this issue captures it really well and again, even though it's vastly different from the two that come before it and is going to be pretty different from the two that come after it uh, I really did enjoy this issue and uh, I think, uh, you know, as far as a creative approach to the concept of Godzilla in hell, this one was a, a very uh, different take than we had seen previously Godzilla in Hell number 4 from IDW Comics was cover dated October 2015. It was written by Brandon Seifert, art by Ibrahim Mustafa, colors by Marissa Luis, editor Bobby Kernow, and again, letters and creative consultant was Chris Mowry. In the ruins of Tokyo, Godzilla stands triumphant over King Ghidorah and Destoroya, but the two enemy monsters are soon back on their feet and the battle rages on once again. The three monsters battle fiercely until King Ghidorah drops Godzilla onto Tokyo Tower, impaling the King of the Monsters. Even this only slows Godzilla for a moment until he spots a giant wall in the distance. His investigation is put on hold when he is attacked, but soon Godzilla discovers his own severed head? Again his foes attack, seemingly slaying Godzilla numerous times. A plan hatches in Godzilla's mind, and he tricks the other monsters into blasting the wall with him. The wall shattered. King Ghidorah, Destoroya, and Tokyo vanish, leaving Godzilla alone in a white void from which he, too, begins to vanish. To be continued. Oh, again, another change of pace here, another change in the art style, another change in the storytelling format. Uh, let's get right into it. So, another collaborative effort, another different, uh, rather than a single creator, uh, we get another creative team. Seifert, is the creator of a book called Witch Doctor, has also written some Hellraiser comics, and this one jumped out, I remember this one, Disney Kingdom's Seekers of the Weird, which I want to say was a book set in and around the Disney parks, uh, kind of dealing with, you know, some of the, uh, uh, you know, hidden mysteries and stuff in the parks. Uh, so very neat stuff. Mustafa, uh, he has done several different uh, books for DC's Young Animal imprint, which I thought was, was very interesting. And uh, also did a, uh, an original book called High Crimes, which he was uh, the creator of. So again, uh, not not anything that I've particularly read, but again, not not no, not not rookies either. Guys that have have some credits under their belt. Uh, the standard cover 
It shows Godzilla standing over a city, uh, standing in front of a mushroom cloud that is forming into the shape of a skull. Uh, it, the design is nice. I'm not really big on this cover because of how Godzilla looks. He looks kind of doughy, and he's got a big head, so he doesn't really do it for me. I mean, the design is really cool, but this cover to me is the weakest of the four that we've had. Uh, we again have a subscription cover by Jeff Zornow, which shows Godzilla battling King Ghidorah and uh, Destoroya. It's a very nice cover, uh, very uh, very colorful. There's ironically also an artist edition version of that, which is in black and white. Uh, but I have the, the regular cover here. Um, so the book opens on page one with Godzilla standing uh, victorious over King Ghidorah and Destoroya. Okay, that was a quick issue. Uh, let's flip, let's see what the rest is. Oh, I see, never mind. On pages two and three, uh, Destroya and King Ghidorah are, are back on their feet. Um, art is very fluid in this book, uh, generally quite expressive. King Ghidorah has some really interesting facial expressions in this book and some body language where the heads are looking around buildings or looking behind them. So definitely a... Um, uh, a very expressive take on the monsters here. Uh, what's interesting is we also get multiple forms of Destoroya throughout this, hunt, uh, hunting Godzilla through the city. We see um, the composite form, we see the, the winged form, we see the, the walker form. So there's different versions of Destoroya. Usually with Destoroya you just get his final composite form. Uh, so I thought it was a nice touch to get to see the, the other ones. Uh, I talked about uh, King Ghidorah's... Uh, kind of fluid nature and character design. Pages 8 and 9, he's flying around looking for Godzilla, and we see him, oh, the different heads all looking in different directions. There's one panel where one head is looking straight off to the left, basically to the left of the page, and another head is turned and looked directly at the reader, spotting Godzilla's tail on the other side of a building, and in the next panel he comes crashing through that building uh, trying to, to get Godzilla. Over on, uh, on page 10... Uh, Godzilla has been picked up and dropped from a high point right onto Tokyo Tower. And I'm not sure that this would pierce Godzilla's skin, but let's go with it for the story. And he's staying there for about four panels, but then his eyes open back up, he snaps the top off, and Godzilla is back ready to go. So you know something is up uh, when... Um, you know, when, when, when being impaled only slows him down. I got it, he's the king of the monsters, but that, that's really something. Uh, at the bottom of that page, we do actually see the wall in the background in a very small panel. And this goes on to the top of page 11, where we see the giant wall. And Godzilla blasting the wall to no effect and immediately being attacked uh, by Destroya, distracting him from it. So over on page 12, Godzilla is still looking at the wall. And then we get a reverse angle where we see Destoroya, three forms of Destoroya coming at Godzilla from behind. And we see a mushroom cloud explosion kind of over Godzilla's right shoulder. And then flying in from somewhere is Godzilla's severed head. I'm not sure here what this means. It's never really explained satisfactorily, at least not to me. The only thing I can think of is that perhaps there are multiple versions of this scenario going on at the same time. So that there's, on the other side of the wall, there's another city where Godzilla is fighting King Ghidorah and Destoroya. I'm, again, maybe you folks out there, if you get a chance to read this, maybe I'm missing something obvious in the artwork. Because, again, there's no dialogue here, so I'm really trying. But it definitely would be hellish to have the same thing happening over and over in different variations. And we do sort of get that here, because on pages 14 and 15, the implication is that Godzilla battles King Ghidorah and Destroya over and over and keeps dying and his eyes keep opening and keeps coming back. 
Um, so it's, you know, the, the idea that he keeps, he's stuck in here battling endlessly against his two foes. Now, even stranger, on uh, turning over to page 16, once Godzilla is down, King Ghidorah and Destoria turn on each other. And they start fighting. Which now begs this question. Are they also trapped in hell? Why else would they fight? If they're if this is Godzilla's hell and they're here to torment Godzilla, why would they also start fighting unless they are also trapped? And if they're trapped in hell, are you know, is this their punishment that they're dying and coming back over and over again? So it, it's, it, there's a lot of metaphysical questions in this issue. I, you know, for for something that seems somewhat straightforward in a story, it does raise some questions when you when you think about it. There's a uh, we get another great panel here, page 17, panel three. Um, King Ghidorah spots Godzilla just blasting the wall, and then he turns one head to look at Destoroya, and the other two heads kind of look at each other like, what? So, <laughs> again, the, the art is very amusing in a lot of places here. Um, pages 18 and 19, Godzilla ducks down as King Ghidorah and Destoroya fire their beams, so all three beams hit the wall. Uh, the bottom, uh, so 18 and 19 is a double-page spread. The bottom of the two shows, and this is interesting because Godzilla is in the foreground. Behind him, standing on a building apiece, are King Ghidorah and Destoroya, and they are both poofing away to dust. Uh, Not entirely unlike the very end of Infinity War. Uh, So just poofing away to dust, and he is roaring, and uh, we see him look around, and then suddenly the background disappears on the last panel of page 19. It's just Godzilla on a white background, and then we get to page 20, the final page. It's just the void. It's Godzilla on a pure white background, and he is not big. He's maybe only a quarter of the height of the page, and we see his legs have begun to disappear in parts of his tail. And it almost, like, uh, from his ankles down is gone, and the rest of it looks almost like an eraser has been rubbed on it. So there are lines and streaks of him that are missing as he looks around. Um, And again, simply to be concluded is the message that we're given. A simple story here told entirely with the art, similar to the first issue. I'm still puzzling a bit over the other Godzilla head, but, you know, the more I think about it, perhaps that was the point. Maybe I was supposed to puzzle over it. Um, Least favorite art so far, but it did have some really good points. Like I said, especially the character expressions and the the dynamism and the fluidity of King Ghidorah particularly looks really good in this issue. Uh, And so that part I, I really did like. This series just keeps getting weirder. And I have to admit, I did really like the ending. The idea of Godzilla in the void and then disappearing so that maybe, again, this was just another region, another test that he had to uh, get through in his, in his eternal damnation of, you know, you spent your entire existence fighting other monsters and destroying a city, well, now you can do it forever sort of sort of situation. So very, uh, again, seems pretty simple, but you do manage to get a little bit of, of thought out of this. So very, very neat stuff. And uh, eager to see how they're going to wrap it up with issue five. Godzilla in Hell number five from IDW Comics was cover dated November 2015. Uh, are written and illustrated by Dave Wachter. Our editor was Bobby Kernow, and as always, our creative consultant was Chris Mallory. In a wasteland, Godzilla moves from frozen desolation to a river of lava, and then to a field with towering stone spires. Small, eyeless, red, bat-like creatures swarm from the spires, but Godzilla pays them little mind. Finally, Godzilla comes to the foot of an impossibly tall mountain, atop which sits a massive tentacle beast. Godzilla's atomic breath fails him, so he begins to climb the mountain, only to be buried by a rock slide. Unable to find a way to overcome this threat head-on, Godzilla instead becomes still, letting the bats swarm him, stripping his flesh down to the bone. 
Incredibly, the bats then form a composite Godzilla, unleashing a massive blast of atomic breath from their hundreds of mouths combined. The mountain beast eradicated, the composite Godzilla com climbs a mountain, disappearing through a Tory gate, from which he emerges out of the sea, back on Earth at last. The end. Well, wow, this, uh, again, each, each issue of this series has been very different, and this one continues that trend and is very different from the ones that, that came before it. Uh, Dave Wachter, best known to me as the writer for and artist for Godzilla Cataclysm, which we covered back on episode 51. He's also, similar to some of the other creators in this series, done some IDW Ninja Turtles work, and has also um, worked on the series Breath of Bones. So, uh, some again, some, some other guys with some IDW work, including some Godzilla work under their belt. Uh, the cover, the main cover, is a effigy of Godzilla made of, looks to be of stone, that is crumbling away, and Godzilla looks really angry. Almost as if the effigy is very angry that it's crumbling away, made of a, a red stone. Um, and then the uh, subscription cover was by uh, Alberto Ponticelli, and it shows Godzilla amidst a uh, like a flaming inferno. And it's it's a pretty good cover, but the standard cover is a better cover of the two this time out. Uh, so let's get uh, right into it. So the first page is actually not a splash page. It's a series of, of panels, and it shows just complete and utter desolation. It's very bleak. It's all grayscale and white, and we just see Godzilla very, very tiny in the, the first panel, which is about a quarter of the height of the uh, of the page and the full width. And again, we talked about using Godzilla for scale. Well, here we can see the scale of this desolate region when it makes Godzilla look that small. And down at the bottom, we actually get a snowflake that blows and is caught in a, a, a wind current around one of Godzilla's uh, spines. And so we get, again, the sense of scale from the, uh, from the snowflake. Um, moving from pages 2 through pages page 5, we, get, we see Godzilla moving through the different environments. Each one is kind of hellish in their own way. Uh, the frozen environment is so cold, we see actually icicles forming uh, off of Godzilla's chin and his upper jaw and on his tail. And then we see the first drops of them melting as he moves through the uh, the, the river of, of lava and then falls down into the, the desolate spires. Um, in his pages, out of the spires, we get the, the little swarm bats. And these guys are little red. They look kind of like bats or flying squirrels, but they don't have eyes. Their eyes are just completely screwed shut. And they've got really big teeth with, uh, with, with a bunch of sharp fangs in it. They remind me of the Izzes. From the Max, if you ever read that old Image comic series, the Max. Shout out to John Wilson of all the pouches. Of course, him and his daughter Lily cover the Max over on, on that show. But that's the first thing I thought of was the Izzes. And uh, they, they do play a bigger role in this story as we go forward. So uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. So over on, on page 8, this is the most desolate area yet. It's just, there's there's nothing here but just some rocky outcroppings. And we can see there's a big storm cloud brewing, and it just it disappears. It, there's a lot of wind and everything. Everything looks very windswept with this impossibly tall mountain. Again, the scale on the bottom panel here, which is about a third of the height of the page, Godzilla's maybe about maybe two centimeters tall, and the mountain is the height of the entire panel and just stretches out, so far, far away out of the panel. So again, there's... The sense of scale with something as, as large as Godzilla being compared to compared to this mountain. On the page 9, you know, uh, back in the first issue, Godzilla uses atomic breath to destroy the giant hell sign that said, Abandon all hope, you enter here with his atomic breath. Here, the atomic breath fails. And that's not something I ever really recall happening in a 
um, in a Godzilla movie or, or a book before, you know, other, except maybe in a game, you know, like the old NES game, you didn't have enough power, you couldn't breathe atomic fire. But here it actually just fizzles out. And it just says FFF and then some S's. So it's kind of interesting that, you know, that this is a, the first thing he's come across here that he can't just physically fight because every challenge he's come across in this series, he's fought physically and just taken it on head on. And here he's finally found something he can't fight because, you know, he goes to, uh, uh, to climb the mountain. And again, we get, uh, that starts on, on page 11. And again, the scale of Godzilla climbing this massive mountain. And he's buried by this rock slide. And, you know, again, he can't even get up there to fight this thing head on. And it's like a character like Godzilla who always fights things head on, you know. So that, that, uh, there's a great bit on the bottom of, uh, page 12. It's the one rock bouncing down at the end of the rock slide. And actually the sound effect says, tock, tock, tock. You can see the little pebble bouncing off of the top of the stones, uh, which I thought was a, a nice, a nice little touch. So this leads us over to... Um, the, the, the main sequence of this book, okay? So, we're on page 12, and it's at the very last panel. You know, Godzilla, he's, he's looked up, and he's being surrounded by the bat things, and he looks up and sees this impossible mountain, and he actually just closes his eyes. And then the top of page 13, he closes his eyes. His eyes are still closed, and he has his hands out to the side. And, again... The amount of personality that Godzilla portrays or demonstrates depends on the depiction, right? It depends on what book or what uh, movie we're looking at. So this is really one of the most uh, personal depictions of this I've ever seen. The idea of Godzilla looking inward and, you know, you know, not taking on a problem head on by attacking it, but actually stopping and looking you know, for an inward solution to find inner peace almost is a suggestion from the art here. And... While he is doing this, the little bats swarm him, and they chomp all on him. Chomp, chomp, chomp is the the sound effect. It's uh, the the way the little teeth bite into his skin reminds me of Biolanti with the uh, the little chomper teeth on her vines and tendrils that chomp into him. And I I love anytime you use the sound effect chomp for something chomping onto something. So that that's always very neat. So this leads on to page 14, where they swarm him, and we have a Godzilla skeleton. We literally see all the flesh stripped off of his bones, and all the organs are gone. It's just the empty skeleton. So, of course, this immediately brings back, you know, visuals of the oxygen destroyer at the end of uh, Gojira in 54. Or even if you prefer, we do see a little bit of Godzilla's skeleton in Godzilla vs. Destoroyah when he melts down. We do see the flesh melt off. Um, and we do see parts of his skeleton in that, but then the bones actually collapse and are in a big pile. So this, this looks pretty final, you know, I mean, we've had, uh, four and a half issues of Godzilla literally being in hell. And now it's, you know, now he's just a, not even a corpse. He's, he's just a, a pile of bone. So it's like, wow, they're really leaving it all on the table here in the, the fifth and final issue. Um, so you know, when uh, 1617, the swarm reform Godzilla, and he now has this, uh, it's a red composite form. Basically, he's all red. Kind of like sometimes you get those meltdown Godzilla toys when he's all, all red or all orange. Is what he kind of looks like here. But he's kind of squiggly because he doesn't have a real, he has a, a, you can see the shape is Godzilla, but he's not a distinct texture because of all the thousands of little uh, bats that make him up now. Um, there is a bloodshot story over in Valiant Comics, where it's set in the in the Rye timeline, so it's set in the uh, 40th century, and it involves the nanites from Bloodshot that have basically outlived 
Ray Garrison. They've outlived Bloodshot himself. So they are, but they are still operating and they form into a humanoid shape like Bloodshot. That's what I'm reminded of with this. I'm pretty sure this came before that. I, I'm not sure exactly when that Bloodshot story was, uh, but I want to say that was during Jeff Lemire's run, which was uh, after this. But it, that's all, that's what all it reminds me of is the idea of all these things eating, you know, t these little red things taking up the composite form and they all work together in unison to create the familiar character. Uh, so it's very cool. What's interesting is that it's only the flesh, so like the spines we see are still the same uh, grayish color because they're part of his skeleton. They're attached to his skeleton, so they're they're not included in this. Same with his nails, his, or his claws, I should say, and his teeth. But it, it is it is really, really a, a very uh, striking image. It does tie in with the red uh, color on the cover. And then the panel here on, um, on page 17, it's a, most of the panel, is... There's hundreds and hundreds of word balloons all saying Screonk. And it's all the little bats all screeching. And they're all in very little lettering. So it's not a loud one, but there's hundreds of them uh, all at once. And uh, that noise is, is loud enough that the beast on top of the mountain actually wakes up. We see it on the last two panels on page 17 of the eye opening up and looking quite panicked now that, uh, that it's, it's facing down this new, this new threat. Page 18, all I could write for this was the final attack, as we see every... It looks like every cell, basically, because it's every one of these little bat creatures that has now made up Godzilla's body. All fire, atomic breath, all at once. And so it's every cell of his is firing atomic breath, not just out of his mouth, but out of his, his entire body, including his hands, his, you know, his, his legs, his uh, torso, all of it. And it sends this beam that is to the top of this impossibly tall mountain and it just wipes out it carves a half circle path through the mountain right through this this great guardian beast at the top of it and it's like yeah absolutely it's it's the this, the inner strength right by letting go of his conflict and giving in he's been able to find the strength to move forward so it's very it's it's and and what's what's very great about this is that on this last page as the composite godzilla walks up the mountain we get a quote from uh, Buddha. And so there's a very Eastern philosophical quote to end this issue when Godzilla has had to take a sort of Eastern philosophical approach to solve the problem. So I really did like that. And I said it on page 19, we see uh, Godzilla walking through the Tori Gate, disappearing from hell. The Tori Gate, of course, in, uh, in Buddhism represents, you know, the, the gateway between the, the realm of the physical and the realm of the spiritual. So it makes perfect sense in this. And, uh, but he just literally just disappears. And the last shot of in hell is just the, the Tory gate with, with nothing there. And, uh, the, the quote, as it goes, that I referred to is, it is better to conquer yourself than to win a thousand battles. Then the victory is yours. It cannot be taken from you, not by angels or demons, heaven or hell. And as I said, it's assigned to Buddha. And then on page 20, the final page of the series, uh, Godzilla pops up out of the roiling ocean, clearly back on earth and with a massive screonk to uh, roar his defiance at having escaped from hell. So, um, a very, again, very different. Each one of these was always uh, a little bit different. And this one really stood out to me, because after four issues of always fighting back, uh, everything he ran into, Godzilla fought and attacked in this. He's got to look inward and overcome himself. He has to give in, which is very uncommon uh, for a monster story, especially Godzilla. I'd expect this more... You know, from a more uh, a character that is portrayed as being more—I don't want to say thoughtful, but maybe perhaps more pensive, like Mothra. 
than I would for, for Godzilla. Uh, so only then, only by giving in, can he escape hell. I honestly found this twist and the entire uh, end of this really refreshing. If a little out of character for a Godzilla, but it's kind of Showa in its own way, right? I mean, the Showa films have more to offer for, you know, kind of Eastern philosophy. I don't want to say Eastern philosophy, but Eastern culture than they sometimes get credit for. And so there's definitely that, that sort of touch here. The quote is clearly the inspiration for this story, but it works very nicely, coupled with the imagery of the, the Tory Gate, so I really do like that. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, they say, oh, using quotes in, in your story, you're not supposed to do that. I think it works perfectly because I think it encapsulates what the story is about and is a way to sum up uh, what's been a very, um, you know, a story that by its nature has gone in a lot of different directions over the course of these five issues. It's hard to say that this is one coherent story, but it's certainly one coherent theme. Uh, so it's, it ends up being a very satisfying conclusion. I also really like that we have one creator again. So I thought that was really neat. And, um, you know, again, getting back to the different creative teams on each, uh, on each issue, but each one playing off of the same theme. I thought that was, was really cool. So, uh, so if you want to read this, um, it, it is available on Hoopla, so you can check it out there. Uh, it also was, it's just been announced from IDW that they are collecting this story along with a couple other, um, miniseries, the Legends miniseries and Rage Across Time. Now, we have covered Legends. I don't have the exact uh, episode, but we have not covered Rage Across Time yet. But all of them, again, are kind of anthology like that in that they don't necessarily tell one story from issue one to issue five, but do kind of tell different um, you know, variations on themes. And that is called Godzilla Unnatural Disasters. That book is scheduled to be released May 11th, 2021, and that retails for uh, right now for 30 bucks. so you can check on, on Amazon to pre-order that if you're interested. Like I said, if you want to check it out, it is on Hoopla, so uh, I'm really curious what you guys uh, and girls out there think. I really liked this story. I liked the creativity. I liked how offbeat it was. Uh, and I like that it really was five individual stories playing on the same concept, more so than five issues, and we have a, big, a beginning, middle, and an end. Uh, I like that each issue kind of has its own beginning, middle, and an end, because each issue tells a standalone story that can work for the you know Godzilla in hell. I really did like that. So I'm really curious what what uh, what y'all think about this. Did you think this worked? Did you think it was a little too out there? Were you expecting an adaptation of the unmade Godzilla versus the Devil from the 1970s? Um, which uh, you know we, we, maybe maybe we can check out John LeMay's books and find out more about that. So uh, I'd be real interested in what, you, what everyone out there thinks. So uh, give me a give me a holler and let's talk about it. EarthDestructionDirective at Yahoo.com. All right, so uh, we're gonna. That's all I've got to say on Godzilla from Hell. We're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back here on Earth Destruction Directive. My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the men's taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have to mine, you have to yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time. 
and then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It it really doesn't work well. So I checked. Right. Uh, I checked my. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, my. Pre- it definitely built build me for the hotel for all three of us. Join back to the bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And it is now time for my favorite part of the show, a little bit of listener feedback. If you would like to send feedback to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also get in touch with me on Facebook and Twitter. Just listen to the outro to the show, and we'll have all the contact information uh, in case you want to be a part of the show. So let's get into our first email. It is entitled Gamera Super Monster, and it is from my brother Jason. And Jay writes, Luke, I also remember Gamera Super Monster being called Super Monster Gamera. I figured because you watched it with me. So that's what it was called. (laughs) Jay continues, I figured that the switch of Super Monster Gamera to Gamera Super Monster when it came to Blu-ray because it was a Japanese title. But honestly, the film was so poorly received that I don't know if too many people cared. You're not, not wrong, Jay. What I did find was this site featuring a soundtrack of sorts that lists all the names of the movie. They might be wrong, but what is the probability that we both remember the way the movie was referred to in the USA, and this random website had it too? The site is below, and a screenshot is attached, and the site is GodzillaMonsterMusic.com, and uh, that, I've, I've seen that site before, so go check that out. Jay's, uh, Jay's on the point here. Uh, Jay continues, anyway, I love Gamera overall, even if this film is not the best, and that new box set is pretty sweet. That's about all for now. Keep them stomping. Jason. Oh, Jay, thank you very much for writing in. Yeah, that box set really was nice, wasn't it? I mean, I'm glad that Arrow is putting out those other sets so that other uh, folks are going to have an opportunity that may be missed out like we talked about in the news, but I am glad that I got that box set because, man, that is that is pretty sweet. And, um, and Super Monster, you know, if you're in the right mindset, it's fun, and I guess if I could go back and watch it again as a kid, I'd probably enjoy it a lot more. It just became really difficult to watch those, um, the non-stock footage scenes, the new scenes were just really tough to watch after a while. And my tolerance of them was not high. <laughs> uh, even though I knew, just wait a couple of minutes, there's more monsters coming. There's more monsters coming. But Jay, thank you very much for writing in. Always glad to hear from you. All right. And our next email is entitled Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster and comes from Rich. And Rich writes, hello, Mr. Jack and Eddie. This is Rich from Oak Ridge, Tennessee. Oh, one of them Oak Ridge boys. And Rich says, I finally got to rewatch Godzilla vs. a Smog Monster. I can say the first time, and maybe for maybe 20 years, and after watching it all, I can say was, wow. After all this time, I really forgot how bat crap crazy this movie is. Right on the money. The imagery throughout the whole movie, you can see Banna was not giving this to kids, but I did find myself enjoying the movie because it showed even Godzilla wasn't afraid to be experimental. That's a great point. I know Jay and I did talk about this on that episode, is that, you know, say what you want about the films of uh, Jun Fukuda, um, but, and and whether you like, dislike uh, uh, Smog Monster, Bano was, he was doing his own thing. And there's always something to be said for a creative individual in a film doing their own thing and taking their own route with it, especially in a series, such a long-running series like Godzilla. Uh, Rich continues, just another reason why I love not only York podcast, but the Two True Freaks Network. You and your brother brought great insight to a movie that otherwise probably be overlooked. 
In closing, I know you're still working on the Ultraman shows, which I do enjoy, but how about reviewing Voyage into Space? Shameless pandering for Johnny Sacco love. A lawyer listener, keep them stomping. Rich, uh, thank you very much, Rich. And uh, I, again, thank you. I know Jay appreciates it too. And I'll, I'll pass this information on to Jay as well. And I appreciate that because we did try to, to try and really give that movie its due and not just look at it and say, man, this movie's weird. So I do, I'm glad you appreciated it. And I'm glad that you appreciated the film more on your rewatch, even though as it is, as you say, bat crap crazy. Uh, as for Johnny Sacco, I, I, I know I got a lot of people ask me for Johnny Sacco. The only problem I have with Johnny Sacco is it was before my time. I've never really seen much of it. I would like to cover it at some point. I do plan on finishing at least the original Ultraman before we move on to another series. I've got so much Ultra stacked up in my house right now from Bill Creek that I was uh, one of the uh, one of the uh, a group of Daikaiju fans that have a bit of a group chat on Twitter. I said uh, they were saying, "Oh, well, I hope to get caught up on on." Uh on this show, before the new one comes out, I said, I will be dead before I get caught up on all of these shows. So j- just be aware of that. So, but, uh, but I will, I, I, I promise we are going to get to Johnny Sacco at some point in some capacity. Absolutely. Thank you very much, uh, Rich, for writing in. Now, I do have another email in the, uh, in the stack here. It is from Jack Bond, also about Super Monster Gamera. Jack, I'm not going to read your email this time just because this is a great, Jack Bond email, which means it is very, there's a lot of meat on the bone. So I'm going to save that one for next time. Uh, I think this episode is, uh, you know, we talked a lot, a lot of me talking on this, just me talking comics. So I think we'll save Jack's email for the next time, but I do appreciate you writing in and I, I didn't forget about you, Jack. Uh, social media likes, shares, and retweets for our last episode, which was Gamera Super Monster, came from Jason Jackanetti. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, Willie Lomax, a.k.a. Will Lacomas, Adam Tebow, Gene Hendricks, the podcasting machine, Eisner Award-nominated artist and creator of the Earth Destruction Directive logo, Joey Weiser, Robert Ward, Brian Sivar, Iowa's Joe Crawford, the Rad Adventures Network, which is Darren and Ruth Sutherland, KEKW, Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, Kyoai Toshi, Jimmy from NASA and Nathan Marchand. Together, they are the Monster Island Film Vault. Baby Skeletor. Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us. Bro Rad. Dr. Kittens. Kaiju Apostle Podcast. The Hammer Strikes. John Strode. Dr. Strange, a.k.a. Billy D. The Two True Freaks Podcasting Network. Siskoid. The Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Big Bad Benjamin. The Drift Space Podcast and G-Man of Mr. Royd. Thank you very much for all the social media love. Folks, it is, uh, I say it every time, a podcast is a labor of love. And without that feedback, you know, uh, we're just out here screaming into the void. So if you have a podcast that you listen to and you really appreciate, give them that like, give them a thumbs up on Facebook, give them that retweet. They really, it really makes their day just to see that. And it really helps get that show out there for more people to enjoy. So thank you very much. All right, we have now come to the end of another episode, and you know what that means. As I say, we must always look forward. And what are we going to be covering next time? Well, we are transitioning. Uh, we've done a Gamera movie, and then we did a Godzilla comic, so when it makes sense, we're going to do Ultraman TV. So that's what we're doing next. We're continuing through the original OG Ultraman with episodes 24 and 25 of the original series. These feature the monsters uh, Gubula, 
Red King, Duraco, and Gigas. The fact that we have four monsters should give you an idea of what to expect on at least one of those episodes. So very much looking forward to that. I think I may uh, break I may break out the Blu-rays. I may break out the Blu-rays or I may break out the uh, the Movie Spree digital copies we were talking about earlier. Depends on uh, kind of where, where I'm at and when I have time to sit down with the Blu-ray player. But very, very excited to watch that. Always looking forward uh, to covering more Ultraman. Uh, we should have some more news on uh, Godzilla Singular Point as well as Pacific Rim The Black. Uh, hopefully uh, we'll get a bit more information organized for those and we can get uh, uh, some more information out. There's a lot of a lot of news for Daikaiju and Tokusatsu stuff flying around right now, so busy times, busy times, but always good to be busy with the stuff that brings you joy and makes you happy. And speaking of which, I want to take a moment to say that uh, Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in giant monsters in any capacity uh, to, to swipe something, I think it was Kaiju Apostle put this out there, if any version of Godzilla brought you joy, you are welcome to be part of this fandom. If it was Gamera, Ultraman, whatever it was, even the Shogun Warriors. Remember we used to talk about the Shogun Warriors? Uh, if, if any of that makes you happy and you want to be part of this, you are welcome here to to be part of the show and discuss what we talk about here on the show. All are welcome. So, uh, thank you everyone for downloading and listening to this uh, episode today. I hope everyone enjoyed us talking about Godzilla and Hell. I hope everybody has an opportunity to go check it out and send some feedback because I'd really like to hear something about this. And I hope you all join us all next time for episodes 24 and 25 of Ultraman. And until then, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Dai Kaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Giaconetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.